Okay, this is Sunday morning, um, the 10th, 13th. Oh, I can't do the math. I'm looking at the six, seven and sixes. 13. Robert, sorry, it's the 13th, Sunday morning. Oh, gosh. We're still in Genesis. Oh, my. Um, I, I brought some cool things just because, you know, you never run out of the Word. You never get, the Bible is so deep. I had a young man that came to my Bible study at the jail the other day and and um, he was just spouting a little scripture here and there and I said did you order a Bible from the chaplain and he said no I don't need a Bible I know that I know the Bible <laughs> and I started laughing I said I've been doing this for 30 years and I still don't know it, even a tenth of what's in there you know and um so last night he came out to Teen Challenge and he came up and he said, I ordered the Bible. All right. Now we're making progress here. They're so cute. I, You know, they just stepped in it. That's all I know how to say. And we're going to get them out of it. That's what I like. But I wanted to share some things with you. Um, I, I'd never, I didn't read to you, maybe I did, the prophecy, Frank T- Mark Taylor's prophecy from 2011. Did I read that one? I think you told us about that. Okay. Well, Mark Taylor's prophecy was um, written in 2011. So I want to read two prophecies for you. I've been sitting on this one since mm, last March. And then there were two others that came out in May just before he um, uh, got in the race. But um, I'm going to share two of them with you. One of them, this one is Mark Taylor's. When Mark Taylor wrote this prophecy down in 2011, he thought that Trump was going to run in 2012. When he didn't, he put that prophecy away because he thought he missed it. So he just put it away. But then, lo and behold, here it comes in 2016. And um, so this is his prophecy. The Spirit of God says, I have chosen this man, Donald Trump, for such a time as this. For as Benjamin Netanyahu is to Israel, so shall this man be to the United States of America. For I will use this man to bring honor, respect, and restoration to America. America will be respected once again as the most powerful and prosperous nation on earth other than Israel. The dollar will be the strongest it has ever been in the history of the United States and once again we will be the currency by which all others are judged. The Spirit of God says the enemy will quake and shake and fear this man I have anointed. They will even quake and shake when he announces he is running for president. It will be like a shot heard across the world. The enemy will say what shall we do now? This man knows all our tricks and schemes. We've been robbing America for decades. What shall we do to stop him? But the Spirit says, Ha! No one will stop this that I have started. For the enemy has stolen from America for decades, and it stops now. For I will use this man to reap the harvest that the United States has sown. For plunder and from the enemy what he has stolen and return it to sevenfold back to America. The enemy will say, Israel, Israel, what about Israel? For Israel will be protected by America once again. The Spirit says, yes, America will once again stand hand in hand with Israel. The two shall be as one. For the ties between Israel and America will be stronger than ever, and Israel will flourish like never before. The Spirit of God says, I will protect America and Israel 
For this next president will be a man of his word. When he speaks, the world will listen and know that there is something greater in him than all the others before him. This man's word is his bond, and the world and America will know this, and the enemy will fear this. For this man will be fearless. And hasn't he been? The Spirit says, when the financial harvest begins, so shall it parallel the spiritual harvest for America. The Spirit of God says, in this next election, they will spend billions to keep his president, this, I'm sorry, to keep this, it says president here, but um, I heard an explanation from Mark on that. He was thinking this president, but it really meant this Um, The Democratic Party is what he said God told him, but he said he wrote president because he thought that Trump was going to run in 2012 to keep this power in, really. It'll be like flushing their money down the toilet. Let them waste their money, for it comes from and it is being used by evil forces at work, but they will not succeed, for this next election will be a clean sweep for the man I have chosen. They will say things about this man, the enemy, but it will not affect him. They will say it and it will roll off his back like the back of a duck. For as the feathers of a duck protect it, so my feathers protect this man. Even mainstream news medias will be captivated by this man and the ability that I have gifted him with. They'll even begin to agree with him when he, when he says things by the Spirit of God. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, some of this hasn't been fulfilled, but a lot of it has. I mean, we saw a lot of that. Um, Also, there's a prophecy that was spoken by um, Jeremiah Johnson, who is uh, one of the writers for Charisma Magazine. And his was in May of 2015. I want to read this one to you. Um, The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Trump shall become my trumpet to the American people for he possesses qualities that are hard even to find in my people these days. Trump does not fear man nor will he allow deception and lies to go unnoticed. I'm going to use him to expose darkness and perversion in America like never before. But you must understand that he's like a bull in a china closet. Many will want to throw him away because he will disturb their sense of peace and tranquility. But you must listen through the banter to discover the truth that I will speak through him. I will use the wealth that I gave him to expose and launch investigations searching for truth. Just as I raised up Cyrus to fulfill my purposes and plans, so I have raised up Trump to fulfill my purposes and plans. Um, To fulfill my purposes and plans prior to the 2016 election. You must listen to the trumpet very closely for he will sound the alarm and many will be blessed because of his compassion and mercy. Though um, many see the outward pride and arrogance, I have given him the tender heart of a father that wants to lend a helping hand to the poor and needy, to the foreigner and the stranger. Okay, those are just two of the prophecies that were spoken about Donald Trump even before he ran. But this is the coolest thing. The Lord led me. He takes me on wild journeys. But I don't know if you all remember, there was a stir uh, maybe 10 years ago about the Bible codes. Um, to give you a brief explanation, they were actually discovered by Einstein years ago. 
And what he <coughs> discovered is, and it only applies to the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, anything written in Hebrew, where Jesus says every jot and tittle will remain. Not one will pass away. Well, a jot and a tittle is like a punctuation mark. Every tiny thing has to be exactly in its place. And for these Bible codes to work, not one jot or one tittle could be missing. Okay? But, um... <clears throat> um if you, you know, there are all different ways to code a message. Like if you take a big article, you could say every fifth letter. And then you would count out every fifth letter and then read the message that's, you know, between the lines. That's what this code is. And you might be able to go every fifth letter, every tenth letter, every whatever. But the math gets so complicated, Einstein discovered right away that <clears throat> you needed a greater capability numbering capability than was humanly available. And so in his writings he talks about these codes in scripture that someday we'll have a numbering capability to cipher the codes. So <clears throat> back in the early 60s when, of course back in the 60s you realize a computer was as big as a whole room. But that was when numbering began to, to, to multiply. And men began to try to break this code. And they would take, um, like people from history, Anwar Sadat was one that I'm thinking of right now off the top of my head, but Anwar Sadat's name was one. And they put his name in the computer. And the computer would run every other letter, every two letters, every three letters, every five letters, every hundred letters, every, you know. <clears throat> until it would come up with Sadat or Anwar or any part of it. Against the Bible? <clears throat> in, in the Old Testament, Hebrew, right. Okay. In, in the Hebrew only. And um, they would, and now if it was just scattered all over the Bible, it didn't mean anything. But when they were in very compact pieces of Scripture, they called those compact pieces of Scripture tables. And <clears throat> in one of those tables... And the man who wrote about this was an atheist, okay? He's just a reporter, and he'd gotten hooked up with some of these Hebrew scholars who were working on this Bible code. <clears throat> but when he wrote the book, he'd become a believer because of what happened here. But they took Anwar Sadat's name and put it in. And within, I mean, no time at all, there were several tables that had his name mentioned. So, in a table, it's a small table. If you're looking at it, it might look like a word search, you know, a diagonal or up and down or across, but a very small table. <clears throat> they found Anwar, Sadat, assassination, and a date, the Hebrew date, you know. They went to Anwar Sadat with it. They said, we know this is far-fetched, but, and he wouldn't listen. And lo and behold, he was assassinated on that day. So they began to really seriously dig out these codes to find out if, if it could exactly... It doesn't um, shape the future, but it confirms what's going to happen. It's like a prophecy within a prophecy. Okay? Um, so like, these prophecies don't shape what's going to happen. <clears throat> but they foretell it so that you know God is in control from beginning to end. It's the same with these Bible codes. The Bible codes don't shape history. Anwar Sadat was assassinated, just like the word said it was. 
You can't use it to change history. But God, um, God is confirming in His Word what happens. And it's deep. Well, <clears throat> the Bible codes have been, uh, have been active and they've been working these for years. But um, when Donald Trump first came on the scene, um, they began to look for tables where they could find meaningful information. And this was just the coolest thing ever. Um, the scripture that I just was referred to in, um, in the last prophecy where it says, He's going to be like Cyrus to me. So that you understand who Cyrus was. He was a godless man. He was an idol worshiper. He was a Persian king and he was a very vicious man. He was a murderer. But 150 years before this man was born, God even called him by name. He said, I will call him by name. His name is Cyrus. And I will use Cyrus to send my... He will have mercy on Israel and send my people out of captivity back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And that whole scripture is right there and it's Isaiah 35, 1 through 3. That's the start of it. In that table... Isaiah 35, 1 through 3. In the Hebrew, this is what they found um, in that table. <clears throat> Are you ready for this? They found the name Donald and the name Trump. They found the word ruler and anointed. Then they found the month Heshvan 8. Heshvan is our November. Okay. October, November, but Heshvan 8 would be our November. The year 5777, which is what this year is, the Hebrew year 5777. Two phrases, eliminate evil, and the other one, bring peace and quiet. That was all in this one piece of scripture in one table. And that was recorded, you know who wrote that scripture? Isaiah. I mean, that was two... 2,500 years ago it was recorded in this scripture and there it is you know you, you never get to the end of God and you never get to the end of his word well there were other tables I mean you know I just kept digging and digging there were other tables but you have to get into the into the Hebrew scholars and they speak Yiddish, Hebrew you know and so there's scriptures wrong in Hebrew so I couldn't get the, the text I couldn't get the you know the book and the and the day, because it's all written in Hebrew letters. And I just thought, I'm not trying to ferret that out. But I will tell you, um, there are some other tables here where things were mentioned. The second table, and like I said, I don't know where the scripture is because it was all in Hebrew. It said Donald, and then it said Trump. And then it said lover of Israel will be elected 5777 that year. Then it said president, and this is the one that blew me away, U.S., there was not a United States 2,500 years ago. But it said U.S. And Donald Trump, I mean, how could... Yes. Was it Donald in Hebrew? The letters are Hebrew, yes. But when you take those letters and you, and you translate it to English, it's Donald Trump. So the Hebrew letters would be like Donald... Oh, let me see if I can okay. think of That's one to tell you. But... But the Hebrew letters have sounds. So like um, Abba, okay, would be Aleph Bet, okay? But, it, you know, it could be Abbot. 
alphabet. You know, so those letters don't have the, the um, vowel sounds. The vowel sounds have to be inserted. So the Hebrew letters that, for the consonants, D, N, L, D, would be there. And then they would go Donald. They'd put the vowel in, Donald. Does that make sense? What's the source on that if we wanted to read more? Um, if you get online, because I, I just went all over the place. Oh, the one but if you get online and put in Bible codes, Hebrew Bible codes, and then put in Donald Trump, you'll find worlds of information. You'll hear teachings. There's all kinds of stuff out there. But I just found these to be so strong and so powerful that I thought I'd share them with you. Um, so that was a, a second one. The third one, and this is amazing that there were four different tables in the Old Testament that spoke to this very same thing. <clears throat> the next table had Trump and Donald and had Marcius von 8, which is November 8th. Donald will be elected. And then the last one was President Donald and Trump and then U.S. Marcus von 8 5777 and then will be elected. Now, if that wasn't cool enough, they put in Hillary Clinton. And this is the table that came up. Okay. The year... 2016. It wasn't 5777. And I wonder about that. I think, why would they use the year 2016 as opposed to the Hebrew calendar 5777? Probably because this is man-ordained and the other is God-ordained. That's my thought. I mean, it's just me. You can't even buy a cup of coffee with that. That and a dollar might get you something at Sheets. But just my thought there. So it was 2016. 2016. Then it said lungs sick, the name Hillary, with infection, and the woman. It's the only, the only plate that anybody found, the only table with anything about her. But there it was. And I'm thinking, God is so in control here. You know, if we could only get people to understand that. God is so in control here. Um, it's just amazing. You know, and I'm going, Lord, how did you get me to Bible codes from prophecies? But you know, you just he just takes you places. So there it was. So um I just share that with you so that you have, you know, peace and assurance that God's in control here. Who have you talked to Karen Rowlett at all? She was following a prophet that has been he like when McCain was on the scene, he was praying over him. And he I don't know who it is, but she was telling us that he kept saying you know, Lord is McCain back when he was running? Is he yeah. gonna? And the Lord said, No, no. He, he's not. And then when Romney, Lord, you know, praying for this man, is it going to be him? No. no. So then Trump comes along, and this man is praying over Trump. Lord, is it going to be Trump? And he said, Yes. And this yes. was, you know, yeah. at the front end of this. Who was yeah. that prophet? Uh, Are you familiar with uh, that? I, I'll tell you his name in just a minute. Okay, because Karen was just telling me about that. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, it was just... Oh, my word. I can't even... I can see his face. I'll tell you. He's a Jewish prophet, Yes, though, he right? is. Yes, he is. He is. All of Israel has been on their face um, praying about our election. I mean, that it's amazing how people around the world, Christians around the world, have been crying out for this election. God's not just listening to us. Um, this, this is the body that's been praying around the world for this election. 
um, on just on Facebook and every the, the verse uh, and Mike Pence has quoted it. If my if if you'll humble if yourselves, my people, right. if my people will humble themselves in Ballard, and Ballard, I will hear you and heal your land. And I mean, how many of us? have seen that that's, that's right. become such a real verse to me it has to and a lot of millions of us talk to yeah. if they will venture to talk about their faith yeah they're praying yes they're praying and, and don't think for a minute god hasn't heard praying. this yeah and it's just praise god you know yeah don't think god hasn't heard this and um so long and i was like a been, been hearing it for years and years yeah. and years yeah. like well i mean you know he he's it's like that for every one of us I mean, from before the foundations of the world, he made you the way you are. He gave you the certain personality you have. He put certain interests and desires in your heart. We're all different, you know, and we're in different places. So he gave us all a different outlook on things, a different... Because he needed us for a specific purpose. And he puts you in the place for you to be groomed to do what he needs you to do. So it's not a surprise that God would put Donald Trump in a place and bless him and prosper him knowing that he was going to raise him up. He's used his own money. He owes nobody anything. You know, he, he had both parties against him. He is truly an outsider. He is God's man. And it's I've never seen the evangelical community come together with one man like this. He's been meeting with them for months and months and months. And um, you didn't hear that with any other... I mean, I've never heard that with any candidate. And I've been around a while. I mean, Eisenhower was in office when I came around. So, I mean, you know, it's been a while. And um, never have I seen that. And yet, here it is. And um, so, I, it's not the man. It's not the man. This is what I tell everybody. We weren't electing a pope or a priest or anything else or a pastor. We're electing a junkyard dog because we have a junkyard and we need to get the junk straightened up. You know, get the invaders out of the junk. It's our junk. So we just need a scrapper. We need a scrappy dog and, and that's what God kept saying. I raised him up. He's a bull in a china shop. But he's not afraid of the face of men. Everybody else has run lately. I don't care what party they are. They're scared of the face of men. And he's not. And everything that's come at him has rolled off his back like off of, you know, like off a duck's back. And all those things, um, to me, I was a I was a Ben Carson girl. I was really rooting for Ben Carson. I adore Ben Carson. But I've been watching but I had been watching these prophecies for a long time. And I just sat back and watched everything start to unfold and I'm going, Oh my gosh, look at what's happening. And then when Ben Carson stepped back and said, you know, Trump's the man. He stepped back, but he stepped up. Yeah, Trump. Trump's the man. He and he stepped right over there, one of the first. I thought, okay, Lord, there's a confirmation for me. Now I'm following Ben. Now I'm going with Ben. And, um, and uh, sure enough, it has just played out in the most amazing and uncanny ways. So what we do now is just pray that the left gets over it. God bless them. You know, God bless them. And um, families that are split, I mean, you know, I, I um, am really good friends with a, 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 and I hate to even use the word black because they're just people. Just dark brown, darker brown skin than me. And um, my family's sort of split wide open, you know. We won't talk about it at our family. Yeah, but, but you know, abortion's the issue. I mean, if, if you're a Christian, you cannot, 
you could not you could not be okay with just that alone yeah we needed Trenton and we needed her mom to bring us to our knees <laughs> well we got it so you know and what I'm praying is that, that God is absolutely right that out of this because before Jesus comes we're going to have a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we have to be ready you know we have to be fishers we have to have our nets ready and we have to be ready to you know to be ministering on behalf of the Lord here because <clears throat> I think great things are going to start happening not, not just for this nation I'm talking spiritually you know, that's really where my heart is. Is this a spiritual matter? It's all spiritual warfare anyway. All of it is. And and the enemy, Satan, has been stuck like a pig and he is screaming like a stuck pig. But he does it through people. You know, that's just the way he operates. He just but that's what's happened here. And we're we have to we have to love and we have to care and be compassionate. But we cannot be wishy washy. And there Karen, can be no consent, I mean, no cooperation, no, with the enemy, no, um, what's the word in meetings that, that I despise more than anything? No, it's a C word. I'll think of it just a minute. Collaboration. No, it's worse than that. Oh, <laughs> worse than that. What could be worse than collaboration? Consensus. <laughs> Consensus is the death of every good idea. You know, we have to stand on what is truth and we have to do it in love. But we cannot get into that kind of a battle with the enemy. Do not be unequally yoked with the devil. You know, and um, so you love the people, but you have to be wise about, you know, who's who they bowed their knee to. Who are they serving? You know, mm-hmm. Karen was saying this morning too that we need to stay diligent in prayer. Absolutely. Because the absolute transfer yes, of yes. power does not take place till January. That's right. And so she said we've all got to stay diligent in praying protection and That's peace right. and just yeah. seeing this through. That's right. To absolute and change. Repentance. And repentance, all of it. Mm-hmm. Everything. Like our job That's in right. praying is not done. Right. Oh no, we're just getting Christians started. Let it, yeah, it's like, oh, That's what woo. that's what I've been okay. saying well, all along. We're just I, getting started. The enemy is rising up mad now. This is this is just the beginning. It was like hitting the beehive with a stick. Yeah. So now we have to just Because keep I've praying. seen on Facebook. I did my part, now it's up to God. It is. We it's not it's yeah. we have to continue doing our part. Yeah. That's exactly right. You're exactly right. No, we're not done. We're just getting started, but we have to be diligent and you cannot let the fire go out. Um, and we let the fire go out. And all the trouble that's going on in our country, I don't blame unsafe people. No. It falls squarely on the shoulders of the church. Because we didn't do anything to stop it. And we had the power and authority to do it in the spirit, but we didn't. So, you know, people in the dark are going to act like they're in the dark. It's not their fault. This is where they are. But they didn't have anybody to show them the light either. And um, so the mess we're in, I, I just put it right squarely on the church, not on not on people in the dark. Mm-mm. And we have to get our act together. We do. So, well, having said all that, <laughs> oh. but you know, he said it's in the days of Noah and here we are. So, it's just, just the way it is. Well, let's get going. We're going to go to Genesis 9. Noah's off the boat. Can I say one more thing? Real yeah. Quick? The, the other thing you see Donald Trump being accused of is decisive or divisiveness. But did not Jesus say, in end times, I have come to divide? 
But yeah. it will be, you will have to choose. You, you are. can't stay on the no, fence. That's right. You've and got so it. politicians ride the fence. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. And God know, didn't bless them it either. It gives me chills. God did think. not bless them. Mm-mm. There is no, you can't, you. It's, no, it's, no, it's, the, it's the word, no, I can't even say it again. Consensus is what Consensus. That's when everybody takes a good idea and then they throw their junk on it and it well, comes out. Right. You okay? Then we'll come here. That's right. But consensus, yeah. You compromise have to, to get to, to consensus. consensus. There you go. Compromise and consensus. Okay. But when you get Do to consensus, words. you have just killed a good idea. Right. You've just destroyed it. Exactly. Yeah. So we can't do well, that. That's what goes on in our government. That's lobbying. right. That's where lobbying that's right. comes in. Here's what needs to be done. Here's what right. you do. Tack then, it on something then good. Then comes in and goes, well, right. we can't do that. No. we got to do this. That's right. And we have to, the horse trading's over. The horse trading's over. We, we have to do things God's way now. So, But I believe God will help him do it. You know, I, he's given him a vision and I'm just believing that's going to happen. So, But we got to pray. You're exactly right. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But when they put you in committees as teachers and they say, now come to a consensus on this, I know right then the whole thing is going to stink to high heavens before it's over. And um, so I just go into those meetings going, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's where I am. Because I know whatever good idea anybody has is not going to come out that way. It's going to go through the meat grinder and come out like nothing. So, and that's what's wrong with our laws. They all went through the meat grinder. And we're not making sausage anymore. We're going to have, like, steak. Okay. Here we go. Um, Genesis 9. Noah is off the boat. Hallelujah. It took us a while to get there, didn't it? But that's the good news, and then the bad news comes right away. Now, Noah, when he and his family get off the boat, we talked about it last time, probably... In one of the mountains of the, of a whole series of mountains um, <clears throat> that run up through Turkey and Armenia, um, this one mountain came to be called Ararat. But when Moses was writing, it was called the Mountains of Ararat. So <clears throat> there is one a double peak that just is right between Armenia and Turkey, and. People believe, because of the folklore and tradition that surrounds it, that that's the peak that he that the ark landed on. If the remains are on that mountain, like some people think they are, that's about twelve to thirteen thousand feet up. But at the base of that mountain, and between the two peaks, there's this very rich, fertile valley, and a river runs through that. And um, there's a town there that's called Eight, just the number Eight which is exactly who got off the boat. And there's an ancient, um, there are ancient ruins there, an, an old stone house, and fences that radiate from the house like the spokes of a wheel. And there are two gravestones there. And the folklore is that that was Noah's house and Noah's and his wife's graves were right there in that, in that area, um, which could very well be the case. Um, it would be very easy for the family to split and migrate uh, for this river. You know, it runs north and south 
<coughs> about 90 miles, so it would be easy for them to travel. But the whole valley is so fertile, it was also easy for them to settle there and spread out um, and have a lot of rich soil. So anyway, that's kind of where we think they are, which would put them northeast of, of what is now Israel. Um, not back down near um, the Persian Gulf, which is where they think, you know, at the mouth of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, which is where they think Eden was. But rather way up north from there, on the northeastern side of Israel. But anyway, they got off the boat. And Noah and his sons went back to exactly what God called them to be. Uh, farmers, husbandmen. And... Um, so in his work, in his plantings, he planted a vineyard. So um, let's just go to 8 and or 9 and start with verse 20. And then we'll run into 9. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took a very clean animal, every clean beast, and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his use. 820. 820, yeah. And we're just going to keep reading. So I'm really in 821. Okay. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moves on the earth and upon the fishes of the sea. And into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you, even as the green herb I have given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will, be, will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whosoever sheds man's blood... By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. That is the argument for abortion right there, for, for being against abortion. What, what verse was that? Verse 7. If you, I mean, verse 6. If you want to know why we don't abort babies, unborn babies, this is why. Because if you shed the blood of a man, a human, that's a ish, then shall, you know, his blood be shed. For image of, for the in, the in the image of God made he man. They're made in the image of God, period. And the cost of taking a life is the is your own life. That's the price you pay. It is a punishment, it's a it is a debt owed. It is a price that you pay. And if you I say, and you, be you fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. And God spoke to Noah and said to his sons and with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl 
of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you from all that goes out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make um, between me and you and every living thing that is with you for perpetual generations. This is eternal. I do set my bow in the cloud and it will be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it will come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I'll remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's upon the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. And the sons of Noah that went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Interestingly, that's not the order of their birth. It is not the order of their birth. Japheth is the oldest. Okay? And Shem is the middle kid. And Ham is the youngest. And, and if you read through the scriptures, you can ferret that out. But it isn't the order of their birth. It's the order of the plans for their lives. But off the boat came Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham, you might want to make note of this, Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay? Ham is the father of Canaan. It's repeated several times because it's important. And that's the bad Canaan? It's our Canaan, right. Our. It's the bad one. Okay. <laughs> it's the one that's still causing us trouble today. Like God said, it's like thorns in your eyes. That's what God said. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. This is your family, guys. This is great-great-great-great-grandpa. And our two of them are our uncles. You know. But, yeah, we come from Japheth. We come from Japheth. And Noah, this is it. Noah began to be a husbandman. That means a, a, a farmer. That's how he was making his living. And he planted a vineyard. Now you know it takes a while for a vineyard to grow. You don't just like the first year's grapes. You don't harvest those. You leave those. So it was a few years that they lived there before Noah had grapes to make wine. But he finally made the wine. Now, this is, this is where it gets sticky. I, the Christian authors that you read, the Christian writers, are trying to make excuses for Noah as if he had committed a sin. But Noah did not commit a sin. There was no law. There was no law. Sin is not imputed. So Noah had not done anything wrong. Okay? He just drank the wine. Now Christians are saying, well, maybe the wine was too strong and he didn't realize it. Or, you know, maybe he just forgot that he'd had a glass and had a glass. You can't believe what Christian writers say. And I'm going, what's the deal? Who cares? The, the deal is, is he laid down and went to sleep. It doesn't even say he passed out cold. It just says that he drank a lot. Okay? 
But whatever it was, he was asleep. And it was not imputed to Noah as sin. Okay, he was no way in the wrong. He was in his home when he was passed out, when he was out. Now, whether it was the heat of the wine that caused him to, you know, throw off his robe or whatever, who knows? It was disheveled? I don't know. But I think it was, I believe now that it was more than that. Yeah. I believe it was more than that. Um, I think it was far more than that. And, we, and, and you have to look at the Hebrew verbs to get it. But, but Ham didn't go in and just laugh at his dad. Okay, it was more than that. Um, so verse 21, he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backwards so they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done <clears throat> to him. Okay, we're going to stop right there. When Noah woke up, he knew that his son had done something to him. The, Jew, the Hebrew scholars will tell you that he did something to his father. And there are speculations from castration all the way up to just stripping him naked. But he did something. That verb did literally means to make, to accomplish, to bring forth. And it is a part of the same word that God uses for creation. So in essence, God's creative ability had been used by Ham in a dis disrespectful, rebellious, sinister manner without care or compassion. He had literally, he didn't just walk in and see his dad and laugh and call his brothers. He literally did something to his father. Okay? So it wasn't just uh, an innocent snicker. When, when Noah woke up, he realized what his son had done to him. Okay, it wasn't that Ham didn't touch him. Ham touched him. Ham did something. Okay, so Ham's heart right there shows a disposition of total disrespect, rebellion, and, and maybe maliciousness. But there was certainly no sense of honor in it. Okay, and that was Ham. And the Jewish people would tell you that was Ham. Shem and Japheth, in an honorable manner of respect, covered their father without looking on him. So when Noah woke up, you would think he would go, Canaan, I mean, um, Ham, you are cursed. But that's not what he said. Look at what he said. Look at verse 25. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. Okay, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brothers. And then here are the blessings. This is really important. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. 
that has so played itself out in history right up until today. Um, the question is, why did he curse Canaan? Canaan was was uh, Ham's youngest son. Ham had lots of sons, but why did he pick Canaan? Why was that the one that he chose? Well, this is interesting to me, but the most common response centers around the nature of Ham. So Ham is rebellious, disrespectful, malicious, um, without honor, compassion, sinister in his manner. And the most common response centers around that nature that was in Ham. Um, that would allow him to so terribly dishonor his father without shame. So retribution would surely come to Ham through his descendants. But Ham had more than just Canaan. Ham had several sons. Misraim is one who is Egypt. Okay? And Cush and Put, those are sons of Ham too. So why Canaan the youngest? Most scholars, and especially the Hebrew scholars say, because Canaan had the same spirit and attitude as his father. And it would be the nation of Canaan that would carry that attitude forward into future generations. That heart attitude was being carried forth through Canaan's descendants, not through Cush and Put and Misram. So God said, curse be Canaan. That line from Ham. It wasn't the other sons. It was Canaan's line that was going to carry the curse. So Sandy, then this, I'm trying to get the timeline and maybe it's insignificant. Okay. So Noah, we're, we're thinking it, it wasn't right off the boat. No. Drunk. Right. It was a couple years because it takes right. that long for the wine. Right. Well, Ham couldn't have had a lot of kids if Canaan was the youngest. He had. Unless it was a long well, time. Well, it could have been a long time. It, we don't know about that timeline. Yeah. But Canaan was his youngest son, so it had to be long enough for him to have four kids. This didn't happen right away. Right. It didn't happen right off the boat. But it had to be long enough for him to have four kids because Canaan was his youngest. He had Mizraim and Put and Cush. We're going to go through that whole thing so you know family lines. We're going through family trees. It's much simpler than Ridge. I was there 25 years and I never got through one of those family bushes. You just can't get your arms around who all's related to who out there. It's just Especially so many. Blocks. Well, I know, and they all have a thousand kids, and then you know you just, and then they, you know, way down the line, you go, wow, I didn't never put you together. I did that all the time. I never did get that. But right now things are pretty simple. We got a tree going, and so in that Canaan was his youngest son. And Canaan is the one who had the same heart that Ham has. And truthfully, Ham had the same heart that that Cain had from Cain and Abel. Disrespect and rebellion and no sense of honor or respect for God. Same heart attitude. And you know, because everybody died off the boat, that... Um, of Cain's descendants, that this is a spiritual issue. This is not a physical issue. It's not DNA related. It's whose heart is going to allow that spirit, that destructive spirit to exist. And it happened to be housed in, in Ham and it's housed in Canaan. 
you find the other children, when you look at their descendants, you see that they never bitterly treated Israel except Pharaoh when the children of Israel were there. But, but for the most part, the nations that have come out of Ham have been not necessarily a blessing, but not a cursing to Israel. Um, but Canaan's family, oh yeah. They've been in your face forever. And um, in fact, Ishmael is a descendant of Canaan, of, of Ham's family, excuse me. He's a descendant of Mizraim, but Ishmael married one of, of uh, the daughters from Canaan. You know. So, I mean, that heart attitude has followed Canaan's line all these years, all the way down to the Philistines, which we call Palestinians. Um, there were Philistines, is what they are. The Romans called them, called the land Palestine, and the people that were in there Palestinians, just to irk the Jews and to keep them quiet. And that's why the Romans did that. But the Romans named them Palestinians. They're not, they're Philistines. So, just so you know, this story started a long time ago. The one we're playing out now started right off the boat. Okay? Um, so this nation then has the same spirit and heart. That irreverent, belligerous, rebellious heart um, that Ham has and now Canaan. Now, now God deals with people one-on-one. -on -one, okay? Anybody that wants to bow their knee and worship God, anybody that's, that wants to offer sacrifices and be in the kingdom of God is in the kingdom of God. Even before the law is given. But as a nation, nations have personalities. And you know it. You can, you know, if, if I give you the name of a country, you can describe the personality of that country. That everyone has its own unique personality. And, um, I mean, the British, you say things like, hoity-toity, very proper, you know, that's their way. And, uh, but if you say French, you get another whole set of descriptions because their personality is different. The Germans were different. Virgin Islands are different. Virgin Islands are different. That's exactly nice. right. And, and every culture, every nation has its own personality. Well, the same with the line of Canaan and Ham. They have a personality. They have a nature that's been passed on. And um, just because you're rebellious and belligerent doesn't mean you have to follow... Um, the enemy, Satan. You don't have to follow him. You don't have to be obedient to him. But, but mostly because you are belligerent, you will be in your face with God. Because you're it. You're your own God. You know, that's belligerent is being warlike. You can't be warlike with God and still serve him. You can't be humble. You can't, right. There's no way. Um... There was a quote that I read that, that's pretty cool about it. It says, This speaks to the contrast between nations. Shem and Japheth covered nakedness and hid shame, while Ham exposed Noah's nakedness without shame or remorse. And um, so this prophecy that Noah spoke wasn't to his immediate sons, but rather to future generations coming up. And it has been fulfilled um, completely fulfilled. Um, when Moses recorded the first five books of the Bible, the children had not entered the promised land. There wasn't a law. There was no command to drive the Canaanites out. 
But this account here, when, when Moses wrote this book, would have given the children of Israel an understanding of why God wanted the Canaanites out of that land. Yeah. You know. Um, go to Deuteronomy 27. Fifth book in. Deuteronomy 27. General electric lights never dim. <laughs> Deuteronomy 27. this where I want to be? Um, I think I missed it. Hold on. Um, y'all, I missed it. I can't find it here. I'm in the wrong place. I'll find it and get it back to you, but what I want you to know is God was saying to them, you must take the Canaanites out. You cannot allow them to coexist with you because if you do, they'll be like thorns in your eyes and in your sides. And um, so he said, you have to do that. You have to take them out. Why I marked the wrong thing? I don't know. Sometimes I do that. Um, I, uh, I'll find it and get it back to you on that. I'm sorry. But I'll just paraphrase it there. Um, he says, if you don't get them out of the land, if you don't drive them out of the promised land, they're always going to be a thorn in your flesh, which they are, even today. Could it be Numbers 33.55? Well, read Numbers 33.55. That's a good one. Let Try it and there. see. Let me get there. But God warned them over and over again. He said, you can't coexist with it. And it yep. wasn't people one-on-one. -on -one. It wasn't people one-on-one. -on -one. Read it out loud to us. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those you let remain of them shall be as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and you shall vex, and they shall vex you in the land in which you dwell. Right. And that's the Canaanites. The Canaanites dwelled in the land that was promised to Abraham. Now, when the Canaanites went there, it wasn't promised to Abraham in the flesh. God had already promised it to Abraham in the spirit realm, but it had not been done in the flesh because Abraham wasn't alive yet. But that land was to belong to Abraham. And those people could have coexisted peacefully, but God said they won't. You have to get them out. Why? Because they worship idols. They burn their children alive on altars to Molech and Baal. They absolutely would kill their oldest child and bury him in the cornerstone of a new house that they built or a wall around their farm. I mean horrible things that they were doing. And God said you cannot coexist with them. You can't accept that. You have to get them out. If you don't, it's going to be trouble. And it's Ham's kids. And there's always been a struggle between Ham's descendants through Canaan and through the Israelites. However, one-on-one, -on -one, God would take any person that would bow their knee. Okay? That's why you see such a mix of people, you know, in the New Testament that came to, to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Well, and the girl that helped Joshua escape. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What was Rahab. 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 And <laughs> exactly right. And, and um, so one-on-one, -on -one, anybody that wanted to bow their knee to the living God, he would accept them. But as a nation, 
They would live under the, uh, uh, without the blessing of God in their lives. They lived out from under execration, which is the curse. They lived out from under the blessings of God by their choice. Anybody that wanted to live in the blessings could come on in. It's surprising mm-hmm. that Ham got on the ark to begin with. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You, you know, I keep mm-hmm. sitting here. If that was his spirit, like, but how did he... I bet it has to do with... He, they were Noah's... He was kids. obedient. So yeah. He was then. obedient to his father, but probably not was. respectful. Or yeah. That was probably it. And I know a lot of kids that are that way. Mm-hmm. They'll do what they're told, but they're not very respectful. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right. But it, it all comes out somewhere. You know, that nature is always going to ooze out somewhere. And um, so there are really just two hearts. And, you know, the, the one heart says we're going to follow the living God and do what he says. And the other is we're going to be our own God and do what we want to do. Make our own gods, invent anything we want, be who we want to be. And that's where we are. <clears throat> so, um, okay, we're going to... Well, we'll stop there. We're just about to get into the into the genealogies anyway. But... You know, just having said that, um, it's Shem's line through whom Jesus would come. Mary first, and then Jesus. Jesus came through Shem's line. And we're going to go to Luke, and we're going to look at that next Sunday. The genealogy of, of Mary's life. Mary's life goes all the way back to Adam. It has to. Because um, she is the seed of the woman. She is the woman in Genesis 2. So her genealogy has to go all the way back to um, Ham. I mean, all the way back to Adam. But um, Joseph's genealogy goes back to Abraham. And Abraham has to be out of Shem. Mm-hmm. Right. Abraham came out of Shem. That's right. In fact, Abraham and Shem were alive at the same time. Most people think that Melchizedek was Shem. It's really cool. I'm going to show you some very cool stuff when we get there. Yeah. It's just neat. But, um, right. So, Shem has a special blessing, but Japheth is also blessed in a different way. So, and that doesn't always lead to positivity. Just saying. So, when you think about it, the Germans are out of Japheth's line. And did they inhabit the tents of Sheth? Seth? Oh yeah. World War One, World War Two, they marched all over the Middle East. And not always positive, no. So, I mean, you know, but it but it's really interesting. We'll talk about it. Thirteen. Thank you, because I'm going, what date is it now? <laughs> tenth, the tenth. The tenth, whatever. It's my math is just like embarrassing. Oh my lord. Okay, let me just pray for everybody. Lord, we just want to thank you for this lesson. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth revealed. Um, Things that you have hidden in your scriptures for those who diligently seek you out, Lord. And I I thank you for laying that bare um, so that we can share in their revelations and their knowledge. It's just such a blessing, Father. And um, I ask that you bless us this week, that you use us to be a blessing. And empty us of ourselves, Lord, so that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see Jesus. and they feel the love of Jesus coming through us, Lord. And I thank you that we're blessing our going out and our coming in and blessing our rising up and our laying down and blessing the things that we set our hands to, Father. Um, we just give you the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen.